Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to yet another Outer Hour. I'm your host, Tom London. Thank you for joining me. And do stay on board for the next hour. This show promises to be exciting and full of stimulating conversation. It's been a week since we last spoke and wow, what a lot has happened in the last week. We've seen arrests, we've seen entanglements, we've seen all sorts of action in the courts of South Africa. And today we saw the midterm budget speech by the finance minister. We will be focusing on the midterm budget speech with Wayne Duvenage and our guests Vusi Tembekwayo and Dr. Zahar Jamin in just a moment. In fact, the bulk of the show will be dedicated to the midterm budget speech, but Wayne will start off by giving us an update on R2 and ETOLs. Let's say hello to our guests first of all, uh, there, and, uh, and then we'll get, get to some of our hellos and see who's on board and uh, who we've got watching and interacting with us. So do pop your comments in the comment section down below. The outer team, headed by Samantha van Nispen, head of marketing and comms, are in the comment section. Either Clear is in the comment section. This show is put together by Banele Sanatla, and I think Wayne will also be in the comment section tonight. So lots of engagement is what we're going to see both on screen and in the comment section. Let's get this show on the road. Let's start off by saying hello to the CEO of Outer, Wayne Divenage. Good evening, Wayne. How are you? Good evening, Tom. Uh, nice to be with you and the viewers tonight and our, and our exciting guests. I think we're going to do some unpacking about what Tito had to say today um, and, uh, and, and some other uh, in, engagements with our, with our supporters out there. But uh, uh, thanks for hosting the show. Look forward to a jam-packed one. Always look forward to Outer Hour at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday, Wayne. Uh, let's say hi go briefly to our guests. We'll get back to them in just a moment when we discuss the midterm budget policy, policy statement. Uh, first up, the Director and Chief Economist at Econometrics Limited, Dr. Azar Jamin. Good evening, Dr. Jamin. Nice to have you on board tonight. Thank you for making time for us. Good evening. Thank you for having me and good evening to the viewers. And then Vusi Tembakwayo, who is a well-known global speaker, venture capitalist and author. And just before we went on air, we were refreshing. There was no need to refresh each other's memories, actually, because I first met Vusi Tembakwayo when he was 17 years old. And I interviewed him on a midnight show at a talk radio station down the road. He was on his way to a Toastmasters championship. And uh, I've got a picture of the two of us arm in arm somewhere in a storage unit in Mulder's Drift. That was 17 years ago, Vusi. How far you've come since then. Thank you for making time for us tonight and good to have you on board. Vusi Tembukwayo. Hey. Yeah, hi, Tom. Thanks for having me and thank you, Wayne, for the invitation. Right, let's, sta let's start with uh, the R2 and ETOLS discussion. We try and update you every week on Outer's action and the government's action when it comes to R2 and ETOLS. Last week, we were discussing the story of fines. If you haven't paid your ETOLS or you go under a gantry, that's an infringement. You then get an infringement notice under R2. It's possible that you'll get multiple infringement notices, and Outer is opposing this uh, and more when it comes to R2. Let's ask Wayne Divenage for an R2 ETOLS update. Wayne, What's the latest? Yeah, look, at, uh, there was a story on the weekend and it became quite big news on Monday and, and it's really created a lot of confusion, Tom. Uh, the reality is this, that R2 technically does say that every ETOL gantry you go under that you don't pay, they can fine you another uh, 500 Rand and if you want to query it, another 100 Rand administration fee is added to that. It's just absolutely ludicrous. So... Uh, what we're, journalists were doing is working out the trip to Pretoria and back is going to cost you about 4,000 Rand. Now, now, you know when absurdity um, is put into law, well, that's when laws become uh, unforce, unenforceable and unmanageable. And, and so we're saying to the public, don't worry about that. You know, R2 has been on the cards to be launched over 10 years now, and it's now pushed out to next year. So if R2 ever uh, comes to being, that issue is going to be challenged heavily. So we will fight it. Uh, this ETOL matter still has to be pronounced on. If ETOL is pulled, and we believe the plug will be pulled soon, well, then um, 
that falls away anyway. Uh, so, you know, irrational laws deserve the, uh, the reaction from the public, as, as uh, happened uh, on the ETAL matter. We will fight this to the end. We have not abandoned our, our responsibility to the public to, to, to bring an end to this irrational decision by government. And we think government has got the message now. So we will uh, inform you more about that. But the reality is uh, it won't happen. The technicality is, well, it might happen or it should happen according to the law. or uh, the But you know and I know that that's certainly not going to happen. All right, well, we'll keep our viewers updated as we go along, Wayne. I know that it's almost a weekly update when it comes to R2 and ETOLs. We look forward to the next one. Uh, let's go, as is customary on our to hour, to say hello to our viewers. Uh, if you'd like to say hello to us, just pop a hello in, in the comment section. If it's your first time, put first time viewer. Uh, and we always love to know where you're from. So we can, you know, we can, we can see, oh, we've got so-and-so from Buffalo, New York. And we do. We've got viewers in Buffalo, New York. Would you believe it? Let's start off with first. Uh, up tonight, Esna Erasmus, regular viewer to the show. Esna says, what a sad day for South Africa. Hello from, from Cape Town. Well, Cape Town was the epicenter of the news today. Good evening to you, Esme. Nice to have you with us. Apparently, it's cloudy in Cape Town tonight. Jeff Scott says, good evening, Justice Warriors. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to have you on board. Donnie Hayward is on board. Donnie says, Donnie Hayward, Outer is great. Nice to see you there. Peter Roseman, another regular viewer. Evening all, says Peter. We've got Jonathan Murphy, and I mentioned Buffalo, New York. Well, there it is. Jonathan Murphy, hello from Buffalo, New York, USA. Keep fighting the good fight, Outer. Heinz Brunner is on board. Good evening. This should be an exciting hour. Indeed, it will be. Devotion Moodley, another regular name. Hello, outrageous peeps. Hi, Devotion. Good to have you with us this evening. Tony Peterson is on board. Hello, Outer. Good to know you're always on the ball. Thank you for joining us, Tony. Nice to see you in the comment section. Craig Frost is with us. Craig says, good evening, all. Jeff P. Scott greets our guests. He says, greetings, Azar. Rudy Heineker. Well, you know him from the Outer Hour. Rudy Heineker is on board. Nice to see Rudy in there. Brendan Slade, another regular contributor, is on board. How's it, Outer and team and supporters? Clive Davis says, good evening, team and listeners. Desmond Van Breda says, Good evening, Tom and the outer team. Linda Knapp, a cup, and then a lot of uh, hellos coming in, so we might not get to all of them. We'll just do a couple more. Linda says, greetings, everyone. Roland Krabenhoff says, greetings, all. George Botma says, uh, good evening, team. Desmond uh, from Van Breda says, where you all gone, guys? Well, we're here, Desmond. <laughs> nice to have you with us. Alan Wallman says, good evening from Tel Aviv. Nice to see you on board. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like and share this program. And you can do that now. Just hit the share button. Get it out to as many people as possible. Andre Hendricks says, together we can. Good evening, people. And more and more will join us. Well, I'd like to uh, focus on this theme of together we can. I'll try and push that into the question in tonight, because how do we fix a country if all of us are not involved, if we're not pulling in the same direction? Let's start with a comment uh, that was made by the finance minister during the midterm budget speech today. Minister Tito Mboweni said, we cannot allow ourselves to fall into a season of despair. And I was thinking of uh, international investors and FDI and how South Africa offers investors high interest rates compared to the developed world, but then investors want to see confidence. Confidence in an economy, confidence in a country, and confidence in growth. Let's start with the C word, shall we? And ask Wayne Duvenage. We'll ask uh, Wayne to start. Wayne, um, did, were, you, were you filled with any confidence today listening to the minister's speech? You know, Tom, we expected uh, a lot more. It's so sad uh, to see him talking about a 3.5% growth uh, on the back of the pandemic, and then back, we slipped back to 1.5%, which is where we were. Uh, and the rest of sub-Saharan Africa at over 3%, and the world streaking ahead. Uh, it's almost like we're giving up. Um, he's not sending the right messages. This country should be growing a lot faster than that if it was able to attract investors. And that's not what we're seeing in this budget. In fact, when we see the continued bailout of failed SOEs, uh, non-core SOEs, this is a serious concern. We've got bigger issues to deal with. Our resources are scarce. Uh, yes, some good signs when we're talking about capping the wage bill. Uh, but that, that, that still has to be seen how they manage that with the uh, labor and the unions in the next three-year negotiations. Um, 
uh, there's just too much that is not happening uh, as opposed to, and too many things that are wrong for us to be upbeat about what's happening. So we've got some serious work to do as citizens, as civil society, to convince this government that they've got to get it right. We should be flying and we're not. And that's the sad reality. Vusi Tembukwayo, were you uh, inspired watching the budget speech today? Your, your overall comments, please. No, no. I, I, uh, I was completely uninspired. I, you know, one, one, one is often careful not to be overly pessimistic. Um, but I was uninspired. And I, if I'm honest, I took umbrage at the minister's tone, this flippant tone about the way we address these matters, this idea that we can scuff and make jokes. I think the gravity of the moment has not yet set. We're in a crisis. It's not a racial crisis. It's not a class crisis. It's a national crisis. And our priorities are completely wrong. We're not getting the social aspects of building our country right. Our infrastructure is dilapidated and in many parts being pilferage and destroyed. Young people are without opportunities, without hope and without jobs. Small businesses are closing down by the number. Banks are sitting on the sidelines wondering what's going on and are they ever going to ever join us in the real world. And all in the middle of this, our minister is cooking for Twitter. Now, one doesn't want to be overly negative or pessimistic, but there comes a point when leaders have to read the moment. They have to read the moment and they have to recognize that we have to get our priorities right. And leaders have to have the ability to make the tough decisions, the unpopular decisions, even if it means that they have set their narrow political caucus. And I, I, I am uninspired because I don't think it's dawned upon those who lead us that that's the moment we're at. Dr. Jamin, um, your, your overall comments on the midterm budget speech, and I'd also like to, you to comment on this growth for, forecast that we see. Wayne alluded to it, uh, and we were told that we'd see a growth forecast from a you know, contraction of 7% to a positive growth of 3.3% next year. Uh, but, but the question uh, I've got is, this a, a, you know, how is this measured? Is it measured pre-COVID or, or post-COVID? What, what is the actual forecast when it comes to uh, the economic growth of South Africa? No, uh, I mean, the growth forecast is based on uh, the entire uh, economic performance of 2020 uh, and comparing that to 2021, which includes pre-COVID, heavy COVID, lighter COVID, and recovery. And on average, the forecast says that we'll be 3% better off overall next year than we will have been this year. And as Minister Mbaweni himself said, a lot of that growth stems just from comparison against a very low base. Uh, it is depressing to see that the forecasts beyond uh, 2021 are down at one and a half percent odd and that as Wayne suggested is almost like uh, government saying well we're giving up doing anything about it well it's actually uh, speaking to treasury people they say they just do their forecasts according to what they are given it they do not incorporate all the plans and the ideas they simply do an uh, econometric forecast. So one can be forgiven for thinking that, well, if the government gets it right, it might turn out to be a little better than what they have been saying. You've got to realize that the economy was going downhill for 10 years prior to the advent of the COVID-19 virus. Yeah. And that mm. was because of a string of structural impediments to growth. And unless we attack those structural impediments, we are not going to be able to reverse the downward trend. Therein, lie, uh, therein lies the possibility of a little bit of optimism. You mentioned right at the start, we are starting to finally see people being uh, convicted or brought to book for corruption. There's no question that part of the reason why we're in, in a huge reason for why we're in such a financial mess is because the government has been paying a premium on all the goods and services that it has been procuring for the last decade since Jacob Zuma took over 
as president of the country. And Zuma did a brilliant job of managing to raise that premium as high as possible for his buddies. Now, imagine a world without that premium having to be paid. Suddenly, government would find 100 to 200 billion rand a year more available to spend on everything, including retiring the debt. Secondly, we've had government uh, passing uh, a law which allows independent power producers now to enter the electricity market mm -hmm. and to compete freely with ESCOM. Thirdly, we've had government announcing the launch of broadband uh, spectrum from the end of March onwards. Fourthly, we've got government having worked together with, uh, or met together with leaders of business and labor to embark upon 51 different infrastructural investment projects. And finally, we had President Ramaphosa also talking about finding strategic equity partners for our SOEs. Now, if you believe all this, there is a chance. If you don't <laughs> believe it, and unfortunately, I was involved in a, a panel before this with a whole lot of high-level economists, and I must say the C word wasn't there. There was no confidence. But I'm just putting it there that if we were to actually implement a lot of what Pramaposa has in his recovery plan, there is some hope. Dr. Jomin, uh, when we look at things like debt-to-GDP ratio, and we, we're given a percentage, and the minister said the goal is to get it to 95% within the next four to five years, how does that compare to other countries around the world? I did a little bit of scratching around, and I saw that the United States debt-to-GDP <laughs> ratio uh, yep. as of March was 82%. Japan is, is uh, 253 Does that mean anything? Uh, what do these numbers mean? It the critical uh, extent to the critical measure here is not so much the size of the debt to gdp ratio but the cost of servicing that debt and that is where we fall flat the debt levels of most industrialized countries especially after all this covid relief is screaming sky high into three digits the difference is that there is c confidence and they, with massively uh, accommodative monetary policy, those countries have been able to keep long-term interest rates down to between minus half a percent and plus one percent, so that those high, huge debt levels really don't cost them uh, very much at all. In South Africa, we are paying more than virtually any other meaningful emerging market. Our long-term interest rates, our 10-year yields, in the region of nine nine and a half percent and that's mm. where it hurts us and it, you've got to relate the debt to gdp ratio to that and if we get downgraded further the nine and a half goes up to 10 11 12 in fact at one point in march we hit 13 percent then it really starts hurting and you find yourself in a massive debt trap it's like any uh, individual if you can go and buy borrow at prime you're sitting pretty but if uh a lot of your credentials are not good, your security is not mm. good, and your, the lender says, no, I want 30% or 5% a day or whatever the case may be, then you can't afford to incur much debt. This budget was touted as a budget that uh, was focused on economic growth. Uh, today, I saw some figures that came uh, out of UCT that were quite frightening, actually, where it's speaking about the conditions of, of, of many South Africans. The poor are getting poorer, unemployment rates are rising, youth unemployment rates are skyrocketing. Vusi, uh, what are your comments when it comes to the budget and the poor in South Africa? What does a pro-poor budget look like? Kasatu were, uh, were commenting on the news channels today saying they were disappointed that uh, there, there was not enough focus on, on the poor. Uh, your comments on, on the disparity that we see in South Africa and how that needs to be included in strategy and, for, and forecasting when it comes to budgets. I'm, I'm going to answer your question in a different way, Tom, which is to say this that I think the best thing you can give the poor is the dignity of the ability to pull themselves out of that poverty. And in my mind, in part, in big part, what's missing in South Africa is the 
is a policy framework that allows that to happen and then prioritizing for us to do so. So for instance, we've put in an additional 10.5 billion rand now behind the airline. Last year at the medium term budget speech, it was touted at 16 billion. So over the past two years, it's an additional 26 billion rand that's gone into that airline. You have to ask the question, what could a portion of that money have done for small businesses in South Africa? Just over a decade ago, big business together with the South African government created something called the SASME Fund. The idea was that big business would contribute 50% and the government to the remainder. Big business contributed their 50% of 1.5 billion and we're still waiting for the government portion to show up. A decade later, we're still prioritizing 10 billion in a single year to go towards the national airline. A pro-poor budget is a pro-growth budget. That's what it is. It's a budget that works and enables entrepreneurs, innovators, and business people to build businesses. It's a budget that enables the average person working an average job, the decency of living in a country where the rates of inflation are not so high that their wages are being eaten into every single cycle, say. So, so you know, I know that, you know, particularly the guys at Kosatu love to get into the matters about of what they want. So they, you know, we want X program and this program, but if you, at a global level, actually, you've got to ask yourself the question, does the budget help you build a country that's more sustainable where poor people can pull themselves out of their poverty? Because, and this is what the, a lot of the people who talk about being pro-poor will not admit freely. Poor people don't like being poor. So there's almost this idea that they enjoy the state of poverty and then therefore the state must provide for them. It's not that they don't want to be there. And what they want, and take it from somebody who comes from a background of, of, of extreme lack and difficulty, what they want is the ability to pull themselves out of that state. And our country is just not delivering that to the average citizen at the moment. Mm-hmm. Let's discuss SAA for a moment because I think of all the items in the midterm budget speech, that is the most contentious one. 10 billion rand has been set aside for SAA. There were comments uh, by MPs uh, after the speech saying, well, you know, that's not uh, going into a, a bucket, a, a leaking bucket. That is to deal with creditors, that is to deal with, uh, with uh, staff retrenchment costs, etc., etc. Uh, is that 10 billion rand a wasted 10 billion rand? I'm not sure whether Wayne's still with us, but I'd like to ask, uh, pose that question to Wayne first. Wayne, yeah. if you're there. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me, Tom? Yes, I can. Go yeah, ahead. We can hear you, Wayne. Yeah, so, so absolutely. We believe it's a waste. Uh, first of all, the business rescue practitioner's uh, request for that 10 billion rand was based uh, on figures that aren't true and correct anymore. In fact, I ought to have, have changed the forecast to be far more dire than what they were at the time of that request. Since then as well, the, 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 the playing fields and the market has changed quite considerably. Uh, Emirates uh, has done a deal into the regional and local markets with Ailing. Uh, Qatar have done a deal with Air. Now this is market share that SAA was gonna get, now that's being lost. And you know this Emirates deal was supposed to be signed back in I think 2015, uh, when uh, Dudumieni got in the way of that and scuppered that whole deal. We've lost all our partnerships. We've lost our friends. And this once very uh, well-respected airline around the world, by the way, is now nothing. It is, it is being decimated. And as Vuzi says, we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got bigger issues to deal with. And here we are thinking that it's only going to be 10.5. That is excluding the losses that they're going to make for the next three to four years. This yeah. is going to cost far more than that amount. So it's time now for the public to use their power, their feet, their vote, their consumer pressure uh, ability to stop this nonsense. So we're calling for a boycott of this airline, a meaningful boycott by, by the public, by businesses, by tour operators. Uh, we've had enough. And if government isn't going to un- understand the rationality of their decisions, then sometimes it re- means that the public have to take those decisions in their hands. Tough, tough decisions. And I can assure you it's not going to uh, reduce one seat into the country. Uh, international fly, uh, airlines will still continue to fly to South Africa. What government needs to do is get out of the business of complicated and, and competitive business and get into the business of government and being an enabler of competitive markets, being an enabler of good uh, business and, and promoting small business and taking away the nonsense that gets in the way of doing business in this country and allow competitive 
locally based international flyers, they will come. They will, we'll be able to fill those seats, I can assure you. But we cannot waste money on non-core state-owned entities. We should be disinvesting in, in Danel. I mean, why are, we, why are we investing in armaments manufacturing? It's like, why is, why is the government not buying into a car manufacturing company? Because Ford and, and VW and Toyota will, will eat them for breakfast. Well, that's what the international airlines are doing. That's what the local airlines are doing. So that is the biggest waste of money. We've engaged. We've spoken with government. We've sent our messages out. They're not listening. It's now time for the people to take a stand. Dr. Jermaine, do you agree with Wayne Divinage's comments? I mean, we saw some comments flash across our comment section uh, over the last few minutes where outer hour viewers are, are quite upset that seemingly money will be taken away from education, universities, for example, uh, and, and reallocated to, uh, to, to SAA. Uh, do you, do you uh, share Wayne's sentiments when it comes to this 10 billion or so? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it wasteful expenditure? You know, I would like to talk more broadly than just SAA. Sure. Um, and Wayne, to some extent, mentioned Danel. But more broadly, a lot of state-owned enterprises, the question is whether, uh, it, you know, if they were running effectively, one wouldn't have a problem. But they are not being run effectively. If I look at what happens in China, where there are a lot of state-owned enterprises, and they are at the heart of what what is driving the Chinese economy. You could also argue that to some extent the state-owned enterprises were what was helping to rescue the economy during the time of apartheid. But part of the reason was because they were being run more efficiently and there was not too much corruption. Now, I have identified two big players in this regard where there may just be a turnaround taking place Certainly, their uh, management teams have been changed 100%, 180-degree turnaround, and appear to be trying to now get on top of all the losses that have been incurred by poor management in the past, corrupt management in the past, and that is uh, ESCOM and Transnet. Uh, but a lot of the other uh, state-owned enterprises, you ask why are they around? And uh, I totally agree with Wayne. Wayne has done a lot of research into SAA. The, the, the story we keep getting fed is that it would cost a lot more, government a lot more to close down SAA than to let it ca carry on going. And I don't know if you want to explore that here uh, or not. But uh, yes, you know, in the broader scheme of things, 10.4 billion uh, out of a budget of 1.6 trillion is less than 0.1%. Uh, uh, you know, it's not a huge, huge amount. Mm. But as a litmus test, government's willingness to get to grips with uh, its problems right now, the fact that this was mentioned uh, in this mini-budget virtually destroyed the credibility that Tito Mbawedi might have had on all the other fronts. It was virtually the litmus test here. I was about to ask yeah. you what your thoughts are on, on the SAA bailout or continued bailout are. One, I think one has to wonder, and you have to wonder and perhaps muse to yourself about what must be the forces at play that Mr. who came in on the ticket of austerity and fiscal prudence is willing to have the medium-term budget uh, policy statement delayed by a week so that he can make announcements around SAA. And I'll tell you why this is a material question. It's a material question because as citizens, we deal with what we hear from our leaders, not what it is that influences them to tell us what they tell us. So we've now heard 10.4 billion into SAA. But I wonder if there wasn't any pressure from Labour, if there wasn't any pressure from the unions, if there wasn't any pressure from the, the Tuli House, if there wasn't any pressure from the Tripartite Alliance, and if there wasn't any pressure from Cabinet and the NEC, if we would have heard that statement at all. Mm. And so, in part, we, we, we have to begin to deal not only with the world that we know and understand, but the world that we don't know and understand, which is these silent forces at play, these shadow people behind the scenes who are actually influencing yours and my trajectory as citizens of this country. Yeah, absolutely. 
Vusi, is there a danger that, you know, the, the SAA uh, issue is such an emotional issue. The moment you mention SAA and billions in the same sentence, it provides for huge <laughs> headlines. Uh, and, and, and we are an emotional bunch in South Africa when it comes to SOEs because we know that they have been mismanaged. Uh, but whilst we're focusing on an issue like SAA, is it possible that we keep, you know, forgetting or ignoring perhaps the, the, the huge issue in South Africa of employment and jobs. You know, we've got tens of millions of poor people in South Africa who just want a job. I, I have to confess that I think even the number, and I'm happy to take Wayne's guidance on this, but my sense is that even the number of people who've been quantified as unemployed, I think that number is grossly misunderstood. I think all you have to do is just get in your car and drive to Deep Slot. It's a 20-minute drive from the center of Santon. Go to Alex, it's a 10-minute drive. Go to Fosleras, go to Timbisa. And the numbers that we're being told about the number of people who are unemployed are just not true. I think that's the first comment to make. The second comment to make is it's not just the number of people who are unemployed. It's also not the number of people who are underemployed because they're willing to take any job that's in the market. And then the third, which is probably more prescient of all of these issues, is simply this. South Africa has a, a, what I call, I like to call a 50-year peak cycle of creating businesses. So the businesses today, which are the largest uh, providers of jobs, were typically founded about 50 years ago. ShopRite, Pick and Pay, Itzel Tile, Ceramics. These are 50-year-old enterprises. Discam, yeah. Clicks. They're all about 50 years old. Go 50 years before that, and you'll see another batch. 150 years ago, Standard Bank, F&B, Stutterfords, etc., where are we now? We're 26 years into a project called South Africa. We should, have half, we should be half the way to building the, new, the next batch of those businesses. And you know what? They know where to be seen. And I'll tell you why they know where to be seen. And I'll make the comment here, which is politically unpalatable, but it's true. They're nowhere to be seen because rather than the country taking equity and planting it into creating new enterprises by real entrepreneurs who build real capacity and create real jobs in the real economy, what we did is we took money and used share-based schemes to get the politi politically connected elite to buy into existing businesses. Now these existing businesses, not having the capacity to grow any farther because the underlying fundamentals don't work, not having the capacity to employ more, quite the contrary, they're under pressure to reduce jobs because they have to be efficient because every quarterly analyst cycle, they've got to get back to analysts and show profitability and growth and HEPs and all the rest of it. So the big businesses are becoming small and more efficient and there are no new businesses to take up that, 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 that capacity. And all of this in a country with a population KGAR of two point something percent, right? And you're graduating half a million people coming out of the schooling system every year. Like this is why I said earlier, I wonder if the moment is lost on these guys about just how dire the situation is. So when you're looking at the direction of a 10 billion rand towards an SAA, and or what is probably a couple of hundred billion that's gone toward the NESCOM, and that's obviously a longer, far more complex conversation. But look at Danel and several, Transnet, Prasa, all the rest of them. You have to see that conversation in the context of where that money could have gone in, in, in alleviating the situation we're in. As it is now, what we're all looking for is the triple-ply Kleenex. But what we should have been looking for was not to take the Brooklax in the first place. But now we've taken <laughs> it, we're in the situation, and now it's really about how do we comfortably relieve ourselves and not lose a sense of dignity. You know, we know that political... Uh, well put. <laughs> We know that political parties run on, 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 on the job creation ticket all over the world, and South Africa is no exception. And at the same time, we hear that you know, we need to enable entrepreneurs to get the economy growing, to employ people. And whilst I accept that, uh, that, that entrepreneurs have a huge role to play when it comes to job creation in this country, you know, these words that my dad told me for years and years growing up, government does not create jobs, Tom. Government does not create jobs. And with the exception of public works, programs. Uh, I, I believe that, that government is, is, you know, is not necessarily in the business of job creation. But when it comes to big businesses, and you touched on them, the 50-year-old enterprises that employ people in this country, what, what could private sector, what could big business do 
to, uh, to, 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 to improve sector development? And what do they need from government when it comes to policy to, 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 to improve sector development in their various sectors? Uh, I, 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 and I'll throw an extra question in there, and, and, and that is, is, is private sector doing enough? I know we're focusing on government tonight, but is private sector doing enough when it comes to sector development and job creation? And if not, what does private sector need? We'll start with Dr. Germain. I think you're absolutely correct that uh, there, there are major structural impediments to economic growth in this country. Unfortunately, actually a legacy of the apartheid regime and the fact that during apartheid, uh, companies were not allowed to take money out of the country and your big institutions just were raking in billions and didn't know what to do with that money other than to buy up shares in more and more of the local commerce and industry. And that led to a huge concentration of power in the hands of an ever smaller group, uh, a smaller number of companies. And now that even though exchange controls were relaxed significantly, the fact is that we have not been able to get out of that stranglehold of the concentration of power in the hands of big business. Because to some extent, there's the antidote to big power in the hands of trade unions and in the hands of government. And it's that so-called golden triangle. And we see it every day at Ned Lang. Where What role is small business actually playing? Or the unemployed? Uh, you just don't see, they don't get a look in. And every Every time you get a budget being uh, pronounced, there's always a sentence or two about small business. Exactly. But if you look at the money involved, it's tiny. We had this, uh, and I, I'm very amused at this 200 billion rand loan guarantee scheme <laughs> by uh, Reserve Bank, uh, mm -hmm. ba uh, Treasury, and uh, the banking sector, and we've seen 16 billion of it being dished out. And uh, I believe 24 billion will have been dished out by the end of the year. And now we are told, no, we have to relook at it. Well, that's 200 billion out of the 500 billion rand uh, relief package. So, you know, uh, it's a large chunk of the relief package that hasn't seen the light of day. Wait, Can I just add yes, a comment on this? Go Tom. ahead. Go ahead. If I may, just very quickly, sorry to interject, Wayne. No, no, no. I want, I want, I want, I want the viewers to consider this. What would happen to you if in your place of work you achieved 8% of your performance scorecard? Hmm. What, what would be the ramifications? So for context, between Treasury and the, and the banks, you ask the banks why the LGS hasn't been effective, they'll tell you Treasury gave them a series of prescripts and rules that made it in, in very difficult for them to dish out the capital. And I have done so, so that's the answer I got. And then if you ask Treasury what the issue was, they'll tell you that the risk and credit scoring uh, matrix of many of the banks were too prohibitive for the loan guarantee scheme, right? In between the two of them, to, as to, to Dr. Jameen's point, in between the whale and the elephant, both of them way too big, but never the twain shall meet. <laughs> they clearly have put us in a situation where over the period of the lockdown in a quarter, 2.2 additional South Africans join the queue of unemployment 2.2 million additional if we are going to bemoan a lack of efficacy a lack of efficiency we have to be consistent with that messaging and i yeah. i was very, very disappointed when i heard the president speak on this i felt the president needed to be a lot more um deliberate and, and a lot more um tough with the banks and then just a final comment on this. We also have to be creative with our solutions, right? So South Africa has probably the most advanced alternative asset class ecosystem in the continent. We have more venture capital, private equity, and hedge fund managers in South Africa than the rest of the continent. I'm not sure why the government consistently runs to the same distributors of capital called banks. There's so many other systems they could use to push that money into the real economy. The conspiracy theorists in me actually posits 
that the only reason this happens is because the money was never available in the first place. But you wanted to say it's available so that you could create sentiment and you could create a sense of confidence and create a sense of spending, knowing full well that you never had the resources to put into the ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. Well, see, I want to to come back to that point in just a moment, but let me ask Wayne what role uh, civil society and civil activist groups like Outer can play when it comes to job creation in South Africa. I know your focus is on maladministration and the the, the tax abuse, but uh, surely the unemployment figures worry civil activist organizations like Outer as well, Wayne? Absolutely, and and our role is to shine the light on what the problems are and why the public need to be concerned and why they need to exercise their power and their they need to engage with the government whenever those opportunities are given and so we aid and, 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 and ensure that that takes place so here's the one thing that and Buzi touched on it as well that we need to call business out on especially the lending houses you know from the period of 2010 right the way through to 2009 right the way through to about 2017 um uh, government uh, and the Zuma administration went on a very clever journey of revaluing the assets of state-owned entities. Yeah. Business could see that. Government could see, uh, or the lenders should have seen what was happening, and they lent money only for one reason. They were government-backed guarantees. We've asked them, would you have given Eskom the 300 billion rand, Sanral the, uh, the X billion rand, Transnet, were these companies purely listed on the JSE? Uh, without the government guarantees. You know what the answer was? Not at all. So they be part of the problem. And uh, we think it's now, and I agree with Vuzi, it's time that Cyril and government went back to these uh, big lenders and said, you participated in the problem. You gave rise to this massive debt. Now, we need to renegotiate that debt. We're not going to call it, not going to not pay it. I mean, we have to pay it. But we want you now, big business and lenders, to come to the party and renegotiate the terms, the interest rates are a lot lower now. They, and by the way, they got them at massive interest rates, 12s and 13%. I mean, they're making billions out of this. Uh, renegotiate the payment period and help us to reduce some of this debt. Government was so out of line by doing that, and business was so out of line by participating in what we know was a scheme born in evil. But yet they just sit back and happily cream the money. So what we're calling on business to do is to start being ethical, is to start being responsible. And this is not about profits as usual. This is about helping a country survive and get out of this hole. You are the other side of the corruption coin when it comes to government spending. You have allowed the, uh, the construction costs of roads to be doubled, sometimes three times the price. You've participated in the uh, inflated uh, uh, deals that have taken place. You've made your money. You need to pay back now and help us get out of this uh, nonsense. So, so we need to bring this pressure to bear on business and for government and Cyril and Tito to go and have that hard conversation with these finance houses. Mm-hmm. Vusi, uh, 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 Dr. Amin, uh, Vusi uh, spoke about a 50-year business cycle. We know that less than 1% of businesses last 100 years. It's an ever-changing world, and business and economies have to adapt to the change. We also know that we've just gone through perhaps one of the biggest changes we've seen in our lifetime with COVID and lockdown, people working from home, technology playing an increasing role in how we do business in South Africa and around the world. Are we placed, uh, are we well placed, or how are we placed when it comes to economic growth in this changing world? What, what needs to be done? Well, what needs to be done is something that we've been talking about for the last 20, 30 years, and that is the need to develop the technical skills of uh, the majority of the population of the country. Because in a world that is now suddenly being fast tracked onto uh, a real path of IT where People like me are falling behind, unfortunately. Uh, uh, but the, and that is despite all the degrees that I have. I mean, how how are millions and millions uh, of un, inadequately educated South Africans yeah. going to be able to come up to scratch in this kind of environment? If that is the real urgency. If uh, I if if there was anything that I would have liked to have seen was I'm dying to see politicians just talking passionately about the need to educate and upskill 
the majority of their uh, 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 colleagues. And what I found very disappointing when looking through the numbers is you're quite right when you take the money away from SAA. Uh, you know that the debt servicing costs of the country are going to be increasing by 16% per year for the next five years, and yet the education budget is set to rise by 1% per year in rand. So, so in real terms, it's going to decline. Dr. Jamin, whose responsibility is it to develop these sectors, to upskill the youth of South Africa and the jobless? Is it governments alone? No, it's not. And the private sector certainly do, uh, trying to put in and do its own bit uh, in terms of certain, certainly civil society is. I don't know whether the, and I, I've been critical to that extent, again, big business relies on the university system to produce all the graduates uh, and, uh, you know, c contributes indirectly through some donations, but they're clearly insufficient. Wayne, uh, your, your comments on, on job creation and how to position this country uh, b perfectly when it comes to competing in a global economy? Well, we need to we need to have growth. It's as simple as that. We need to make it so attractive and exciting for for investors uh, to feel safe about investing in this country. So we need to focus on what are those things that are going to make uh, investment proper, uh, possible, and, and easy. Uh, you know, we've seen the NRCS process, the the the, the regulatory board that, uh, that 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 ensures that the uh, that things that are important in this country are compliant. It's an absolute mess. We're meeting with business associations and, you know, companies actually pulling out the country because it's so difficult to do business in this country. The other element is we want government to now introduce absolute transparency when it comes to um, procurement, not just have an uh, open procurement system, but we want to see every cent and spend of the way. Or, you know, how often we pay for stuff we don't even get. The problem is, Tom, and we've shown that on the Gauteng Freeway Upgrade, which should have cost $9 billion, it cost $18 billion. And then many other projects like this. Lots of road construction, lots of good stuff happening. And as mm. Tito said today, we, this is going to be an investment uh, space as opposed to consumer spend. Well, that's good. But imagine if you can get 200 kilometers instead of 100 kilometers, how many jobs you start to create when you get the cost right. But what's happening is we've got so many middlemen in the equation and so many people taking their cuts. We are paying two to three times more than what we should for so much of this construction. We can create, just out of the limited spend that we have, two to three times more jobs if we do it properly. And that's not happening. So we have to hold government's feet to the fire when it comes to open uh, and, 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 and very transparent procurement uh, programs going forward. They're not listening. And Vusi, I'm quite certain you'd like to uh, add your comment to this particular point. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is... <laughs> I, I, I often, you know, I often defer to the wisdom of my grandfather. My grandfather um, had a standard one, I think it was, education. And he ran three very successful spaza shops. And if you asked him what he did for a living, he told you that he was an oligarch. You know, he, was, he always fancied himself this Russian oligarch. But he had three very successful spaza shops. And, my grandfather always spoke about the three fundamentals. He said, when you're in trouble, you have one of three options. Either make more, spend less, or sell assets. It's that simple. And this is the moment we're in. So can we make more? Well, no, you can't, because you've taxed and out-taxed the citizen. The corporates won't take on any more corporate income tax. You've got one of the most efficient revenue authorities in the world. So you can't build inefficiencies into the system to collect more taxes and you're also an economy that's not growing quite the contrary it's contracting so it's not as if there's more businesses doing more transactions with more money in the system for you to tax so on the revenue side you're not making more revenue which leaves you with do you cut costs yeah well to do that you need to do the things that are deeply unpopular so for instance we still need to have a conversation about why it is that south africa has provinces do we need provinces you know, yeah. you need to have a conversation about does the Department of Arts and Culture need 11 chief directors? It's arts and culture. What do you need 11 of them for? Right. And why are they all sitting in Pretoria? If these people are t d d 
if they're technically competent and skilled, take them and put them in the municipality in Kurnu or Kuruman. The skills have to go where the actual work needs to happen. You know, if you're a CEO of a turnaround company, any CEO who's done a turnaround will tell you. The first thing you do is you reduce the size of management. You make the business more efficient. The second thing you do is you take your best people closest to the customers. So take the most competent people closest to service delivery. And the third thing left in that, in that little, you know, uh, is to sell assets. And we are, it seems unpopular or unwilling to do that too. So we're continuing down this path of, of lacing um, the heroin addict. You know, as Dr. Jamin made the comment, and I, I fully concur, this idea that, it, as they've been saying to us, it would be more expensive to fold the airline. Well, I'd love to see the person who ran those. I'm a numbers guy. I'd love to see the person who ran those numbers because I can assure you that if you extrapolated forward for the next 10 years of bailouts and did an NPV of that calculation, it would be a fraction of what are the contingent liabilities that are now upon us if we were to fold. And that's just the airline. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it goes back to that original comment. Who's in charge here? And who's listening to who? And whose policy and whose agenda is the one at play? The minister mentioned uh, making cross-border business easier with other African countries. Uh, Dr. I mean, is there opportunity for us to grow our economy by growing business with other African uh, countries? Is, is, is that a reality? Yes, but then you've got to have a buy-in from both sides. And unfortunately, you've got similar mindsets amongst the politicians in the African countries to the north of us. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the biggest... Uh, uh, indictment is the paucity of inter, intra-African trade as a percentage of total trade being undertaken by African countries. And that is because many African countries put huge barriers uh, in on uh, trade with their neighbours. Uh, and that there have been attempts to try and minimise that, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. But the other thing is, of course, the whole continent needs to upskill itself to be able to start producing more and more for what its own people need than is the case currently. Without those skills, we are heavily dependent upon importing from China, from Europe, from North America. Let's talk about the public sector for a moment, Wayne. And we heard Minister Mboweni saying that uh, there will be no public sector increases for the next three years. I've heard three and I've heard four. That hasn't gone through a bargaining council yet, and we've got the unions uh, involved. Do you support uh, no increase for public sector workers for the next three to four years? Absolutely. Um, they've had uh, CPI plus, uh, well over CPI uh, plus increases for a decade now, if you look at it. Um, government has been remiss in its ability to control uh, these increases. You've got the tripartite alliance, you've got the unions there. You know, they're, they're a threat and you've got the elections that come up every now and then and they get what they want. Uh, and and the productivity levels don't match those uh, increases at all. So, so sadly, um, they're out of kilter. And I think now's the time with this pandemic to call it quits. That's it, enough. And could call or bring those management uh, costs and salaries back in line because they've also soared. I mean, you've got uh, municipal mayors and managers and that earning more than uh, people in cabinet. It's just madness and, and the cars and the perks that they get. So... It has to be brought in line. Obviously, there's going to be a wrestle with the unions, and this is where we do call on Labour. You know, get in line. Let's fix this country. Stop squabbling for your growth in your membership. We've got a job to do, and uh, you should not be. Certainly in this time where people are losing their jobs and uh, getting their salaries cut in the private sector, be calling for increases, not when your scorecard of your service delivery is, is going downhill at a rapid rate. But, Tom, before we run out of time, um, yeah. I want to just pose this question. And, Buzi, um, this is more to you because, you know, we sit here week in and week out. We discuss what are the solutions. One of the biggest solutions is if government aren't getting it right, we can fight a civil society. We can do a lot. We can hold them to account, put them under pressure. But, actually, we need a political solution. We need something to change. And, um, and, and the... 
you know, the public are fed up. If you look at the local elections, the by-elections, more and more independent candidates are starting to win, because people are getting disillusioned. Now, heaven help us if the EFF even get one municipality. Fortunately, they haven't. But they're a force to be reckoned with. The ANC is past its sell-by date. The DA, I'm not so sure. Uh, we need something new, and we need somebody like you, Vusi, to spearhead as something that's going to change. I mean, I think you could get, with a concerted effort of an, an incredible platform in the next elections in the next year, we need good leaders that are going to convince the public. Now, I want to put a challenge to you. If we can put together something really meaningful, would you lead it? Because we need you. We need good leadership. You've demonstrated, you know, the, what has to happen. Yeah, we, I, mean, <laughs> that, I know that's another discussion for another Vusi, day. Wayne, 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 Wayne is, de Wayne is um, deflecting, Vusi, because week in and week out, people want to call for Wayne to become president on the outer hour. <laughs> However, I take his point no, and ask for your, no, no ask for your comment. <laughs> no one to become president. But I think uh, I think Vusi's got a strong chance. I'll be, I'll be in the trenches with you, Vusi. <laughs> I would love to know your answer to here's that the, question. Here's the strategy. Uh, and for the viewers, here's the strategy. You need the ANC to go the, the psychological, go beneath the psychological 50%. And I watched um, Minister Mbalula fighting with some of his fellow comrades on Twitter. And whilst everybody was caught at the spectacle, what I saw were two pit bulls mauling each other. And you know what you do when two pit bulls are mauling each other? You watch. You don't mm. interfere. And so to the concerned South Africans who are worried about the political trajectory of South Africa, here's where you can get hope. The worst thing you can do with the ANC is to fight them or oppose them. Because even if internally they divide it, they will unite purely for the purpose of defeating you. And they have done so at every single election cycle. The best thing we can do is to take a step back and watch the pit bulls maul each other. And make no mistake, with the factions inside, they will and they are. So you have to give the ANC the ability to go just below that 50% mark. My expectation is that it will definitely happen at the next election cycle. Yeah. Once that's happened, it forces the ANC to get into a government of some sort of alliance with someone else. Here's why this is important. It then has one of two options. It either goes the EFF route, and if it does so, it has to put in a lot of policies in place which the EFF is known for. These, uh, these Leninist, Marxist policies which just don't work in a 21st century, fourth industrial revolution world. They don't work. And they won't work. Or it partners with the Democratic Alliance. It would be loath to do so because of the aesthetics of what that would look like. Either way, at that point in time, you have an incumbent that's too weak to rule alone, opposition that's too weak to rule together and to divide it. And then in the middle of it, you have the South African who's going, so what does the future trajectory of the country look like? So for me, it's not an, it's not an if question, it's a when question. And as my business school professor used to say, the most important element of strategy is timing. So it's just about... Yeah. Well, the timing, the timing, Vuzi, is uh, in nine to ten months' time, local elections. You, have, yeah. you can have independence there. there there's something that is, that, that is possible, I believe. But... And I agree with you, you know, they're decimating each other. I do believe the ANC will come below the 50%. The problem is with this coalition style of government, and the worry always is they're going to side with the EFF, just because it's probably a little bit more comfortable. Yes. Uh, it's, it's really worrying. The opportunity, the timing is now for something different, even if it is small enough uh, to make a big difference and then leap further on as the national elections come. So there's something there that I think we need to talk about in our next show or shows further on down the line. I just wanted to plant a seed with you that this country needs good leadership. It needs leadership with logic and rational thinking. And you're one of those individuals who's got a lot of influence. Uh, and you might want to consider a political future. I know it's not, um, I know it's frightening, <laughs> but think about it, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it a thought. I, I do prefer... I prefer the world of P&Ls and income statements. I know you do. Uh, I promise <laughs> to, I I to maybe you, me, and as a 
over a coffee. I used to enjoy that world. I used to enjoy that world as well until I found some excitement in civil activism. So there's uh, there's also there's also a good world out there and something else. <laughs> it's a long road from venture capitalist to politician, but you never know. Uh, let's uh, as we're running out of time, let's just pose the final question or the topic to our three contributors tonight. And as the show is focused on tax abuse and maladministration, corruption being the word we use the most on Outer Hour, uh, if we eradicated corruption and maladministration tomorrow, Dr. Jamin, what effect would that have on the economy of South Africa, speaking as an economist? I think it would have an enormously positive impact because suddenly you would be paying uh, uh, for services that are rendered and not have that huge premium that I've referred to, that Wayne implicitly also referred to uh, being wasted away. And you would have a change in the mood of the people where they would start cooperating, working harder and trying to and paying taxes because they would feel that that's not being wasted away. And uh, there would be just a general improvement in the whole vibe of the country. I can't tell you how much it could be. And especially we're talking, as I mentioned, 10, 15 percent mm. of government spending. Suddenly you wipe that out. And uh, that means you wipe out a lot of inefficiency. Adding to that question, Vusi, mm. uh, do you believe we are moving in the right direction when it comes to eradicating corruption and uh, becoming more efficient? I think, uh, look, I mean, you know, we've certainly seen the Hollywood-style arrests of the recent past, but uh, if that's an indication of things to come, then long may it last, you know, you know, to the point we're arresting people on off the back of acts that were committed a decade ago. Could you imagine what would happen if we actually investigated this entire decade, what we would see? So long may it last. I think, um, and, 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 and we, we, you know, I think this is why I enjoy the work of what Wayne does here. It's because citizens have to recognize that you can't sit on the sidelines and expect somebody else to fix the problem. It's your country. It's your problem. And if, you, if you're not involved, you actually, frankly, you're a big part of the problem. So all of us, I think, have to put shoulder to the wheel. You have to speak up. And, and, and I just want to say this, particularly to the viewers who are watching. I recognize we live in a time where certain people can't say certain things because we have politicians who love identity politics. So if I say something, it's okay. If Wayne says it, he's a racist. And I just want to say to every single person watching this conversation that if you are a South African who loves their country and who does good by their country, you have every single right to speak your mind, even if I don't agree with you. Nobody silences you because of what you look like. And we, we've, we've, we're in this rather insidious place now. It's an invidious position where I'm finding my friends saying, I can say it to you, but I could never say it in public. And I actually say it in public. It's important that you say it in public so that everybody is aware that this is how we're feeling. And this is the direction and the mood and where the country finds itself. It's our country collectively. Nobody has a monopoly on the future of South Africa. Yeah. Wayne, does that remain Outer's focus, eradicating corruption? And how, how is Outer doing on that front? Well, it certainly does um, remain our focus, but we're broadening our focus. We're moving into greater emphasis on policy change now. We're moving into disruptor yeah. uh, politics. We're launching platforms that are, are going to empower local communities to do the work that they've got to do to challenge local government where so much waste is taking place. Uh, there's so much on our plate, and I just must add, this is not me, this is, this is a team of amazing uh, 45 people. Uh, the, the, this outer team is just is so professional, uh, but they are so stretched. Uh, we can feel the, the energy is high, but the amount of work that's coming our way, uh, I mean, we should be double, triple our size, and, 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 uh, and, and, we, and we still have so much more to do. So um, we're on the right track, and I think we're quite excited about what's happening. The NPA, we had a meeting yesterday. We had some discussions with uh, Hermie and Crenier in a, in a civil society working group. Um, sending good messages. I think things are happening. Not fast enough. Not fast enough at all. But, you know, when the winds of change are in the right direction, the rain will come, and it will get better. 
So we need to cherish those uh, uh, those developments. We need to we need to not lose hopelessness because this country has got potential like you you never. I mean, we've got the diversity. We've got we've got so much going for us. We could just and there's more than enough money, by the way, if we just spend it wisely and get more people to come here and spend their money here, we would be the best place in the world. We've got all that potential. So, so the prosperity opportunities are massive, uh, and I just want to thank. I just want to thank our team uh, that are behind us, and I want to thank every supporter because we live on on the funds that supporters give us. Donations. That's it. It's individuals and small businesses, not big businesses, not politicians. It's not. It's not a donor foundation. We're, we're about the people, so we have to remain relevant to them. And hopefully we're doing the work that they expect of us. Uh, and thanks, Lucy and Azar, for joining us tonight because, you know, it's people like yourselves that our supporters want to hear as well. You've added great uh, content and, and, and input tonight, and, and, and thank you for taking the time to share your insights with us. Thank you. Big fan of the work, uh, Wayne. Continue to do what you do, and I would love to support in any way that, that I can. I know that our coffee is long. Thanks. Too, so thank you for having us. And may I echo Wayne's words of thank thanks? Vusi uh, Tembakwayo, venture capitalist, global speaker, and author. Thank you for joining us this evening, Vusi. Hope to see you again soon. Cheers, lads. And Dr. Azar Jamin, Director and Chief Economist at Econometrics Limited. Thank you, Dr. Jamin, for spending your time with the Outer Hour team and viewers this evening. Thank you. Thanks, Azar. You do great work as well. Uh, we really appreciate uh, what you do. Keep it up, Wayne. And uh, Wayne, final comments uh, reserved for the CEO of Outer on the Outer Hour. Your message to your supporters. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, folks. We've, uh, don't lose hope. Uh, we will get out of the hole, even though it's deeper than it was a few months ago. Uh, but, but things are going to turn. We need you, though, to be part of the solution, to continue to apply the pressure. And uh, we are going ahead, and we're serious about this boycott against SAA. Uh, we cannot let government get away with the nonsense of spending money on failed SOEs. It's time for change. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for your input. Only a pleasure. Uh, Wayne Divinage, your CEO, CEO of Outer. This show is brought to you by Outer, and I say it every week at the front and the back of the show, except uh, I've never really expanded on it. The show is produced by Benele Sanatla, and I'd like to extend a personal word of thanks to Benele this evening, who, like clockwork, provides the emails, provides the running order, all all the nitty-gritty that a, a radio show producer puts together, and she does a sterling job. So my, my thank you tonight is reserved for Benele. Thank you, Benele, for all the hard work you do. And then a thanks to the comms team at Alta, headed up by Samantha Van Nispen. Ivor Cleary would have been in the room tonight, and I saw Julius Kleinans. I saw a number of the Alta team members in the comment section tonight. And while the conversation was going on, I was running through all of the comments that were going on. Just so many comments flying across the screen. The big thank you at the end of the show is really for you, the Outer Hour viewer. Thank you for joining us every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. If you don't join us every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, then make it a date next Wednesday. See you at 7 p.m. And if you watch the show post-live, you press the button and you watch it after the Wednesday night show, your view is just as important. So thank you. Do remember to go to outer.coza to learn more about what Outer does. The projects are all available and the updates on the outer.coza website. And if you see the Join Now button and you haven't joined yet, Hit that Join Now button and become a member of Outer. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to Wayne Divinage. And thank you to you at home in South Africa and across the shores, wherever you may find yourself, for joining us for yet another Outer Hour. Until next week, Wednesday, I say it every week. Hope you stay safe. Hope you make a few rands. And hope that you make a date with us next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. I'm Tom London. And I miss you already. Our fight to eradicate corruption maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters.